Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Proverbs 4 is our theme verse for this particular uh, message series. Wisdom is supreme, the Bible says. Therefore, get wisdom. Get you some wisdom. It may cost you everything that you have. Some of you have sort of lived that life of, man, this costed me more than, than I thought it was going to cost. Uh, but I learned something. Have you ever you ever made a purchase that was really just a learning experience? Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Like, it wasn't so much the investment of what you spent. It was just, oh, I got an education right there. And... And that's what wisdom, it may cost you some things, but when you get on the other side of it, you think, man, I'm gl- I learned that. I'm glad I, I learned that lesson. Wisdom may cost you everything you have, but get some wisdom. And we talked about wisdom being applied knowledge. It's actually doing something, not just knowing something. For the last five and a half years, I have belonged to a local gym in Bernie where I live, and they... Uh, I have auto pay. They make you set up auto pay. So they just automatically draft it out of my account. And I'm not completely certain what it looks like on the inside. But five and a half years ago, I remember what it was like when I signed up for it. And the crazy thing about the gym is it only works if you go. I've tried. I mean, I've given them a lot of money. And so far, it's not working. It looks like I'm going to have to go uh, for anything to work. And wisdom's the same way. Coming to church, it doesn't do very much. I mean, it's, a, it's an opportunity. I think you ought to be here. It's a chance. I think everybody ought to be in church every time you can. But honestly, just hearing the Word of God is not enough. James says, I want you to be doers of the Word. That's applied knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's, it's applying some things to our life. So last week we talked about dreaming again. I'm not going to re-preach that. A few weeks ago, I preached a message to you. Uh, actually, second week of the series about... The beginning of wisdom. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then I read just the first part of a verse to you that I want to pick back up on. I'm coming back in week five from week two on Proverbs 19 and 23. The Bible says it like this. The fear of the Lord leads to everybody shout life. That's what I want you to have. I want you to have abundant life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Here's the rest of the verse that I didn't read you four weeks ago. And it says this. Then one rests content and untouched by trouble. Now, if I had a verse that I was going to say, God, I want that to be my life verse. I mean, if I want something to apply to my life, if I'm going to receive God's word over my life, this is a verse. I'm telling you, you ought to add it to your life verses you receive. I want to live my life with these three things. I want to live with somebody. I, I want to be somebody who rests. Come on, everybody. Not sleeps, but rest. You ever slept a long time and still woke up tired? You didn't rest, you know. I, I, want, I want rest, but I want to rest God's way, and resting God's way is content. That's the second thing. Like if I were to receive this verse, these three things, rest, contentment, and then I really want the kind of life that's untouched by trouble. Can I get a better amen, everybody? I want this kind of life. I, I want a restful, contentment life untouched by trouble. And I want to give you how to get that today. The truth of the matter is though, I don't live my life always restful, content, untouched by trouble. I live my life usually in the trap of comparison. I thought by this point in my life, I told you last week I'd, I recently turned 40, I thought at this point I'd be over some stuff. You ever looked at your life and thought, I thought I'd have done that by now? You know, I thought I'd whip that by now. I thought I thought I would have achieved that by now. Comparison's one of the things I thought I would be better than I am right now. 
I thought I'd be over looking to my left and, and looking to my right and always comparing where I am versus where you are and what I have versus what you have and finding my value in you. And honestly, it started early in my life, probably in elementary school or middle school. I don't know. I kind of blinked all that out. But, but I remember in high school, I remember, I remember the feeling of comparison. Maybe you know this, uh, the truth. This is going to be hard to believe by looking at me today, but I wasn't very athletic in high school, so I hated all the athletes, <laughs> some of y'all, and then, and then I wasn't very smart, and so I hated all the smart kids, and, and then I wasn't cool, and so I hated all the cool kids. Honestly, I, did, I had a pretty small group. I mean, it was kind of just me that hung out, you know what I mean? I mean, everybody else is kind of wrong, but that's what we do, right? We, we compare, and if you, you know, if you, I'm different than you, and I don't like it, and so I'm, I'm constantly in this place of trying to be better than or better than I call it the land of earths where I want everything more er than you have I want to be skinnier than you I just want to be skinnier than me right now but but for sure I want to be taller than whatever I want to I want I want to be happier I want to be smarter I want to be pretty er I just and 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 honestly er never ends cuz it's always compared to what you have I just want it. I just want more of it than you have, and then and then the the delineation. If you live your life in this comparison, now you just you really want to be est. You know, est is. I I don't just want to be prettier than you. I want to be the prettiest in the room. I don't just want to be taller. I want to be the tallest and help my spurs out. Come on, somebody. I I don't. I want to be the skinny est. I want to be the rich est. I don't want to just be richer than you on my block. I want to be the rich est. On my, are you with me, everybody? And, and, and you end up living your life constantly battling against what you have versus what I have. Who you are versus who I am. Your value, my value. Am I okay because you're okay? Am I accepted because of you? And, and you're constantly jockeying in this comparison. Not the contentment God's promised me, but the comparison of my life. Always comparing. back. You always want what you don't have. You know what I'm saying? When, 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 you're, when you're in the mountains and you're in a cabin, the only thing you're dreaming about is the beach. The only thing. You just want palm trees. And then when you're, in the, when, you're, when you're on the beach and there's sand everywhere, you're like, I hate sand. All I want is the mountains. I just want to go to the mountains. You, you always want what you don't have. I just, if, if you're tall, there's a couple of tall uh, uh, girls on our team and they never, pants never cover their ankles, Ever. Ever, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can, I guess you can sew stuff on the bottom, but it, and so, uh, they just want pants to fit. If you're short like me, we hem everything. Every I could buy some big shorts, and you brothers would never know. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, you always want what you don't have. You always want what you don't have. If you've got curly hair, you spend an hour this morning doing what? That's exactly right. You got straight hair, you're putting a perm all up in that stuff, trying to make it curly. Just make it, you always want, always comparing, never content with this is good enough to what I have. God has given me what I have. Write it down like this. The enemy of contentment is comparison. The enemy of contentment is not lack of satisfaction, it's comparison. Let me say it better this way. If you want to ensure a life that's never fulfilled and satisfied, live in comparison. 
If you want to make sure that your life is always unhappy, that you always go to bed at night thinking, man, I wish, and man, they have, and I don't like, and this is not good. If you want to live your life not content, matter of fact, I'll say it better like this. If you want to live restless, because the Bible says the, 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 if the fear of the Lord is where you get rest in contentment. If you want to live your life restless, live in comparison. Always looking for what somebody else has. Always. The problem is, the hard thing is, we live in this culture of comparison. Right? We live in this culture that tells you the only value you have is based on what I say you have. And now we've got cancel culture which says if you don't value what I value, you're out and we cancel you. And, that, and, this compare, and so now we'll, we'll vacillate who we really are based on your acceptance of me so that you don't cancel me. Yeah? And, and, and I'm never fully content with what I've got. I'm just teaching you some Proverbs today. Proverbs says, if, if you'll learn how to live your life, the fear of the Lord leads to life, but, but you can have rest that's content and untouched by trouble. But all this comparison comes around, and the truth is it's ugly. It's ugly. The Bible says it like this, 1430, Proverbs 14 and 30, a heart at peace gives life to the body. But let me tell you something ugly is envy. Rots the bones. I grew up in the deep south. I know it's hard to tell by my accent, but I grew up in the deep south. And in the deep south, we say things like this. That girl, she just, they're just rotten. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever, ever they're rotten to the core. You know what I'm saying? Jason, you know what I mean? Just rot. You know what you mean when you say they're rotten to the core? You ever find somebody that's toxic and you don't know why they're so toxic? Or why they're so negative all the time? Or why it is they, they're just never happy. There's always a scowl on their face. They're always down. They're always out. I don't know why. I'm just telling you, I think the Bible is written by the Southerner. Anyway, I think it could be because envy has rot. You've just rotten. Just, it rots the bones. Let me say it like this. You'll die before you die if you live your life in envy and comparison. You'll die a slow death of, of I don't think I'm good enough because of you. And, 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 and you end up with rot in your bones. On the inside, things just are dead because I'm constantly comparing to you. Comparison breeds so many lies. The enemy uses it to breed lies in our life. Let me give you three lies in our, uh, that comparison breeds. It, it makes my life about these three things. Number one, comparison always makes your life about the wrong perspective. The wrong perspective, what I see with my eyes. Comparison always tries to convince you every day that you are not good enough. That what you have isn't good enough. That the house you have isn't good enough. That the car you drive isn't good enough. That the wife you married isn't good enough. That the kids you have aren't good enough. That the clothes you wear isn't good enough. That the money you make isn't good enough. It, your comparison constantly gives you the wrong perspective that I don't like this stuff. My stuff isn't good enough. And, and, and I'll go further than your stuff. You'll start believing I'm not good enough. I, God can't, so I'll, I'll preach to you, God can use anybody, and you've got purpose, and God's called you, and you're a champion, and God's going to make you a world changer, and you'll say, no, but you don't know, I'm not good enough. You'll have the wrong perspective, I, and, and it's terrible because social media in the culture we live in amplifies the wrong perspective. You'll post about your vacation at Port Aransas, 
And the next slide that had come up is somebody in the Bahamas. And you in Port A. And the wind's 130 miles an hour. Y'all know it is down there. And you've saved, now listen, you've saved for half a year to bring your family to the Hampton Inn in Port Aransas. And it's wonderful. And your kids are having the time of the, by the way, your kids don't know the difference between Bermuda and Port A. Let me just, let me interject that to you real quick. They don't know the difference. But you're comparing what you, and suddenly the hard work you and your wife had to get to this vacation isn't good enough. Suddenly what I have isn't good. Now, they're vac- now they got a new house. I just moved into a rental. They just bought and built a brand new custom. And now what I have, it's the wrong perspective. It's not good enough. I, I recently read in preparation for this message uh, a study about social media, the effects of social media. Now, I'm about to blow your mind. Most psychologists believe that 10 minutes of social media a day, 10 minutes or more, Some of you spent 10 minutes on there just since I started preaching. 10 minutes or more. This is, I'm I'm telling you, psychology today, it increases more stress, more anxiety, less happiness, and less satisfaction. And we're looking at it for two hours, three hours, four hours at a time, and we got the wrong perspective. What I have isn't good enough. Now listen, here, now here's how the devil works. It's always progressive. So your, your relationship with God's always in steps. We're always talking to you about taking the next step in your journey. Same thing's true with the enemy. He always has progressive steps for you. It's never always off the cliff. So the wrong perspective leads to number two. Write this down, the wrong presumption. So the wrong perspective says, my stuff's not good enough. The wrong perspective said, if I had your stuff, I'd be happy. That's the wrong presumption. You presume that my stuff's not good enough. That's the wrong perspective. The wrong presumption is, but if I had what you had, man, then I'd be happy. Man, if I just had, if I just had that house, that finally, if I could go on that vacation. Man, if I, listen, this is how most affairs happen, by the way. Number two reasons pornography. The first reason is comparison. I'm telling you, it is. It's you looking at someone's highlight reel, and here you are living your real life, and it doesn't look like them, and you've got the wrong perspective, and you start presuming in your mind, well, if I had a wife like they had, then I would finally be happy. If I had a man like they had, then we would finally be happy. Are you there, everybody? <laughs> this is the wrong presumption. It starts with the wrong perspective. Then it is. The, every advertisement is built on you buying the wrong presumption. If you're in marketing today, I'm sorry about this message, but <laughs> I'm being honest to you. Every advertisement in, a, in the world is built on you having the wrong presumption that if you'll just buy my product, you'll be happy. If you'll just take this one pill, you'll lose 28 pounds by tomorrow. Come on, somebody. Just one pink drink. Uh-oh. Some of y'all probably sell that. Just one energy. If I just take this one organic, all natural pig lining out of the guts of a sheep from New Zealand, then everything's going to be changed in my life. And I just, you're going to wake up with skin that glows and hair that's, Come on, everybody. That's, it's built on the wrong presumption that if you'll, if you'll just click this one click, everything gets better. This one purchase, everything gets better. This one night, and you'll be happy. This one text message, and it'll be better. It's the wrong presumption that if I had what you had, 
and I'd be happy. If I just had what you had. The, the secret about sin that's not so secret is that when you get what you thought you wanted, it doesn't make you more happy. It actually takes happiness from you. <laughs> the Trojan horse of sin is that when you get what you thought you wanted, it doesn't make you more happy. It makes you less happy. And this vicious cycle where you end up living in the wrong perspective and you have the wrong presumption. And then the third thing happens, you end up following the wrong person. You end up focusing on them instead of you. Now you're fixated on their marriage and their house and their garage and their cars and their kids and their clothes. And now you're not focusing on your calling and your gifting and your purpose. You're just trying to live their lives. You're just trying to be who they are. I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving you the lie of comparison. Starts with a wrong perspective about what I have is not good enough. But if I had what you had, I'd be happy. And then I focus my whole life on you and becoming you instead of becoming all that God's called me to be. All that God's called me to do. So I want to give you the secret to contentment. Now, a, a few times in studying for Scripture, I tell you this often, but most of the time, uh, preaching's for me. God's usually just speaking to me and I just kind of let y'all in on it. But a few times, uh, really, my eyes are opened and, and study for a message. This is one of those times. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. I've read the book of Proverbs. And uh, this is the last chapter before uh, the verse. I mean, chapter 31, he just talks about women and a virtuous woman. But this is the last chapter where he's kind of shotgunning Proverbs, you know, in, 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 in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 30. And I get about halfway through. So you're at the end of the book and about halfway through the end of the, the book. And... Um, and this is what Solomon says that he asked from the Lord, Proverbs 30 and 7. He said, two things I ask of you, Lord. Now, that got my attention because you've spent all of Song of Solomon trying to chase after a woman. Come on, everybody. And then you spent 30 chapters telling us about wisdom. And then you wrote a whole book of Ecclesiastes about, about how to chase things that are under the sun, how meaningless it is, the whole world is without God. And, and you come down to two things. Two things I want from God. And I'm asking you to give me these things before I die, Solomon says. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Let me say it better this way. Those lies of comparison that if I had what you had, I'd be happy. Solomon said, whatever you do, God, I'm asking you for two things. The first one is, don't let me believe the lie that what I have isn't good enough and what you have would make me happy. Don't let me believe the lies of comparison. And the second thing is, don't give me poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of, the, of my God. He said, I want to live in such a way that these are only two things I need from God. Number one, don't let me believe the lie. That the, the, the calling I have, the purpose I have, the gifting I have, the blessings I have, the family I have, the home I have, the children I have, the marriage I have. Don't let me believe the lie that it isn't good enough. And number two, just give me contentment with what I have. Just give me my daily bread. Now let me pause here and talk to everybody on keto. You can't go to heaven without daily bread. That's in the Bible, okay? I'm just saying that to y'all. Everybody's talking about bread. You've got you to gotta have it. You've got to have it or you're going to die. That's, that's good. <laughs> White bread. Come on, somebody. Not wheat with all that little junk up in it and shoots and berries and leaves and whatnot. 
bunny white bread. I'm anointed this second service. He said, I want you to give me my daily bread. Otherwise, otherwise I'll start thinking life's about something else. I want you to teach me not to believe the lie of the enemy that comparison says what I have isn't good enough. What you have would make me happy. And then give me contentment so that I live my life in such a way that honors God. Truth of the matter is you're not born with that. If you have kids, let me tell you what word you didn't have to teach them. My kid's first word was dada. Uh, anyways, that's... Uh, so, but I, I, I tell you what word we never had to teach both of our children. You never have to teach your kids how to say the word mine. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody ever taught their kids to say? Nobody. Every child understands this is mine. This one's mine. Even if it's not mine, what's yours is mine. This is mine. Don't take this away from me. This is mine. You never have to teach more to your children, ever. They always, we're born saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. This is mine, this is mine, this is mine. But you can learn how to be content. You are not born with the ability to be content in God and satisfied with what God's given you and not comparing, but you can learn it. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4. He said, I'm not saying that I, that, that because I'm in need. I'm not like telling you that I need something, but I do know this. I have learned to be content. Underline that in your Bible. You can learn how to do it. Oh, pastor, I'm just, I'm just constantly looking for more. That's fine, but you can learn how to be content. Oh, pastor, we didn't have much growing up, so I'm always worried about running out. That's okay. You can learn how to be content. Uh, but pastor, I'm just trying to get better. You need to get better, but you can learn how to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is, Paul said, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I have learned. Here he says it again. I have learned the secret of being content. You can learn it. In any and every situation, if I'm well fed or I'm hungry or I'm living in plenty or I'm living in want, and this is the verse you always remember. This is the one that you memorize and you say all the time when you're studying for a test and when you're trying to get this job and you think Philippians 4.13 is about you and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Paul wrote Philippians 4.13, not about you passing your exam. He wrote it, you can do all of this about contentment. Paul said, through Christ, you can learn how to be content. That's the strength you get. You get strength to learn. I don't have to have all. I'm not comparing my value to you. My value comes from God and only from God. I'm not comparing my, my, my worth or my purpose by your purpose or your call. No, no, God's called me a servant. I'm going to do it the way God's called me. You can learn to be content. God will give you the strength to learn. To be content. Say amen to that. All right, now I know what you want. You want three points about how to be content. I know some of you are just, you're, you're holding your notepads going, give me the three points so I can get the popsicles. All right, here we go. Three points. <laughs> I wish I wasn't that predictable, but let me give you three points on how to live the secret of contentment. Number one, write this down. Number one, you got to stop the constant push for more. Stop the constant push for more. Stop believing the lie that more is better. Look in my eyes. More is just more. It's just more. It's not better. 
Where's all the empty nesters at? Let me see everybody who's, I love a multi-generational church where your kids are already going. Be proud about it. Come on, empty nesters. That's what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what I love about a, a church you know, full of multi-generation. We got young families and families that are empty nesters and families that are new empty nesters and people just got married and single adults and all kinds of stuff. But I love empty nesters because you know this probably more than anything. At some point, you, you decide, I don't need all this junk. I had this because of those little people that lived in this house, those little leeches that had all this stuff in my house. And now that they're gone, I don't need all of this. I want less. I used to have a little boy here to mow this grass, but when he moved out and got his own grass to mow, Daddy don't need all this yard. Are you with me, everybody? You learn, you learn less is more. I want you to learn it before then. That more is just more. As a matter of fact, I'll say it this way. More is more complicated. <laughs> you gotta, you got to stop when it comes to your finances, to my stuff, to my jobs, to my... I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about not striving for excellence. One of the core values of our house is we pursue excellence in everything that we do. I'm, not t- I'm just talking about the push of the world that you got to have more or you don't have value. you got to have more or you don't have worth. you got to have more or you're not good enough. This is a lie, and some of us have been destroyed by the mindset that more is better. More is not better. Less is more. It's, it's true for parents. I, 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 I don't want to pick on young parents, but I, I got to tell you, uh, uh, empty nesters, you got to amen in this. But I, I pastor young parents, not in this service, in the first service, who you'll, you'll sign up for every single sport that they offer. It's, it's lacrosse, it's travel football, baseball, basketball. You think all of that stuff's going to get your little short, fat kid into college. They're just not athletic. They're not trying to find their calling. They're just not good at it. That was harsh. I didn't mean to be so harsh. But but I'm being real <laughs> to you. You don't have to fill up every night of the week chasing them all the way around. you got to teach them less is more. Can I get a better amen from all the young parents? By the way, less is more and nothing competes with God's house. Since I'm here and dug this hole, I think I'll get in it a little bit. I'll waller around in here with you for a moment. But if it competes with God's house, it goes away and God's house comes first. Because when they're 20 years old, they're not going to remember baseball practice. They're going to remember the life change they experience in the presence of the Lord. That's the strength of their journey. I want you to go to baseball practice with them, but do it on Sunday afternoon. There's something about putting God first. You don't have to have more, more, bigger rooms, bigger houses, Bigger land, more stuff. You just stop the constant push for more. Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this later on in his life when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, he said, Then I observed, now he talks, the book of Ecclesiastes is strange because he talks about everything under the sun. So if you read it, you don't know his mindset, you'll think he's being negative. He's just saying, I realize that earth only has this one thing about it. It's all meaningless. He said, I observed that most people are not motivated because you think your kid can get into the University of Texas and play football. You're motivated because you envy how your neighbor's kid plays football. You didn't really, it's really not pursuing excellence. It's envy. It's I just want it because you got it. But this, Solomon said, is meaningless too. It's like chasing the wind. Now, I'm not telling you to be lazy because fools fold their idle hands. 
Like I'm not telling you not to, not, not, to, not to work hard, not to pursue, not to go for a sports scholarship, not to do your best, not to keep striving for more and working on a promotion. I'm not telling you that. It'll lead you to ruin if you just sit back. But yet, yet, he says, yet. In other words, in comparison, like if I'm, if I'm juxtapositioning these two of laziness versus pursuing excellence, here's what I would choose. It's better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Hold your hands out in front of you all over the house. Put both hands out. Clench one up tight. The Bible says it's better for you to just have what you can hold in this than it is to squeeze that other hand tight, than it is to white-knuckle everything you could possibly get your arms around and always be chasing the wind. By the way, open that one hand back up. The reason why God only wants you to have one handful is because He needs an open hand for you to serve somebody. You can't be generous. You can't, you can't give and serve and love people and do what God's called you to do if both hands are clenching onto everything you got. I got one hand that I'm clenching. I'm doing my best. I'm working hard. I'm pursuing excellence. I'm giving my best. I'm providing the best I can. But this hand, God, this hand's open to you. God, anything you want to do, I want you to know I'm available and ready. And I don't have to have more. I got, I'll, ha, I'll take one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. It's better. It's better. Stop pursuing more. Number two, if you want to, the secret of contentment, number two, make God your source. Make God your source. People are your resource, but God is our source. Let me say that again. Jobs are your resource. You got to have them. That's a word for some 20-year-old today. you got to have a job. It's your resource. You can't just sit at home and go, God's going to make a way. He's going to make a way through Rudy's Barbecue for $12 an hour. Get up and get a job. But your paycheck, that car dealer, that accounting firm, that sales office, that construction site, that board of education, they're not your source. God is our source. I was praying this morning, preparing for this message, and as I have always done, I'm praying about what's next for our church and a permanent building in our church, and we're actively working. I know you've heard that for years, but I, it's true. Like, I, I got no reason to lie to you. People always, Brandy and I laugh about this often, but people ask us, are you always going to be portable? No, we're not always, we're trying to not be portable. <laughs> By the way, we're not trying to not be portable so we don't have to work. We're trying to be permanent so we can reach more people with the love of Jesus. We're trying to reach more people and minister to more people and help families and couples and students and young people. Can I get a better amen than that? Yeah. And so I was praying this morning, God, we need, God, we need, God, we need a building. God, we need people. God, we need finances. God, we need a miracle. We really do. Yesterday, we went driving, just pray, my, my little kids praying for a miracle. We honestly, I had my six-year-old and ten-year-old praying for a miracle building. But listen to me. I was asking God this morning, what if they leave? What if it doesn't happen? What if they did? And I'm reminded of what I'm preaching to you. People are a resource. But I'm not depending on you. I'm depending on God. God is our source. God takes care of me. 
God. And if you'll live your life this way, you'll have more. Watch this. This is the second verse. I told you there's two things that honestly opened my eyes in in preparing for this message. Proverbs 30 was one of them. Here's the second one. Look at this. Proverbs 10 and 27 in the Living Bible. The Bible says, reverence for God, realizing God is our source, will add hours to your day. (laughs) How many of that sounds good to you? (laughs) That sounds good to me. God said, I'll expand your capacity if you'll put God first. God is our... It's why we preach the tithe. Because I'm going to put God... You say, Pastor, I can't afford to do that. No, I can't afford not to. i got to put God first so that God... Now I'm expanding the capacity to receive the blessing of God on the rest of what I have. Can I get a better amen? It's trusting God. God's going to add to my day. God's going to make up the difference. God is my source. It's why you need a rest and a Sabbath. Six days shall you work and seven, the Bible said, shall be holy unto the Lord. There's a day that you rest. Now listen, I think it ought to be the first day of the week. I think it ought to be Sunday. And you say, well, how can I rest with all this serving and take down and set up and serving kids and making coffee and high-fiving? And how, how you want me to rest when we serve? I'll tell you why. Because God hardwired you so that when you serve others, you get filled up. The Bible says it like this. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That's in your Bible. That God made it when you worshipped, that you got filled up. When you prayed, you got filled up. So when you come to church, this is a filling up time. Can I get a good amen, everybody? This is, I'm, God's adding hours to my days. I'm realizing God is my source. I don't have to, listen, I think on, I think on Sunday you ought to eat the biggest meal of the week. I think you ought to. You ought to go all out. Come on, roast and rice and gravy. Come on, somebody. and uh, Cornbread. Where's all my cornbread people at? I mean, it, it ought to be good. On Sunday. And then you ought to take a nap unto the Lord. Oh. If I had an organ, I'd preach about this. You ought to rest and sleep and push back from the table and take a walk with your wife and ask her name again in case you hadn't seen her all week and you work too hard and play catch in the backyard with your kids and eat popcorn and watch a movie and play a family game you're honoring God when you do this you're saying God I got other stuff I could do but you're my source and these kids are enough this house is enough this job's enough this marriage is enough I don't need what you have I'm content God's my source and here's the last thing, and we'll pray. You got to stop the constant push for more. You got to realize God is your only source. And number three, you got to live your life on mission. Live your life on mission. If you'll get on mission, I don't know how to preach this to you any other way. I say it all the time. Matter of fact, the month of July, I'm going to preach it to you the whole month. So get ready. <laughs> but you need to be a mission minded believer. The most miserable Christians I ever met are Christians that just live for them. The most miserable marriages I counsel are the people who don't serve. I'm just being frank with you. The most miserable single adults I know are just constantly looking for a husband, looking for a spouse, looking for... But that they're just living for me. Me, me, me. Mine, mine, mine. And you'll find contentment if you'll live for others. Philippians Three, Paul says this again, not that I've already obtained all this. By the way, I haven't obtained all this. I'm preaching to you today, but I hadn't arrived at my goal. But here's what I do. 
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself finished yet, but here's one thing I do. I'm going to forget all that stuff behind me. I'm going to strain towards what's ahead of me, and I'm going to press on towards, listen, the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. I'm going to live my life on mission. I'm going to live the purpose God has for me. I'm going to live for others. If you'll do that, I'm telling you, it's a secret. To, it's the, it is the linchpin of contentment. It's realizing God created you on purpose and for a purpose. And if you'll live your life on mission, you'll be able to do what Proverbs says. The, we started with Proverbs 19. says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then... One rest content, untouched by trouble. Didn't say trouble wouldn't come, just said it wouldn't touch you. Didn't say it wouldn't be shaking, it just said you won't be shaken. It didn't say, it didn't say the weapon wouldn't formed, it said no weapon formed against me is gonna prosper. <laughs> you can live your life in that way. On mission. Man, I want a church full of men like this. I want a church full of women like this, couples like this, who say, you know what? We're, we're going to be content. We're not going to live our life comparing to everybody else. No, we're going to live the mission God gave us to live. We're going to do everything we can, and then I'm going to be content. And on this Father's Day, simple message. I know it's simple. I'll be deep later, maybe not next week, but I'll get deep again soon. <laughs> but this is summer. It's hard to get deep, you know. But here's a simple thought for your Father's Day. Look at me. Just be thankful for what you do have. Let's be content, men. Come on, moms. Let's, let's thank God for what we have. Let's be grateful. Let's don't, let's don't play the comparison game. There's no win in comparison. None. It's all about me and mine. And I don't know. I'm going to be content. God's given me all I need. Bow your heads for prayer. Father, I thank you for... God's word. I thank you for this word really talking to me this week. And um, I thank you for the book of Proverbs that's speaking to my life in just some practical ways. And on this Father's Day, I pray for families, whatever stage of life they happen to be in young couples, single adults, young families, empty nesters, grandparents, wherever they are today. God, I pray for. Um, pray for some contentment. I pray for rest. I pray that the fear of the Lord that leads to life, it would also help me find rest and contentment untouched by trouble. God, I just pray against the spirit of comparison in men and women in this church. I pray against comparing what I have, not just my stuff, but my calling, my purpose. God, I, I'm not going to compare it to somebody else. I have what I have because God gave it to me, and I'm going to use it and work it to the best of my ability. I'm going to live my life on my mission, running in my lane, doing what God's called me to do. I pray for a church full of that. pray for men today to raise up, pursue excellence, give all they've got, but at the end of the day, they rest in God, content. That I'm enough, I have enough. I thank you for it all. Jesus' mighty name.
Everybody shout a big amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.